0: This is the Sharpen Podcast. I'm actually the creator and producer of this show. This show would not be possible without Rocky Talkies. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by a small team of climbers in Denver, Colorado. These radios are amazing. They're extremely lightweight, durable, and work in the extreme cold. They have impressive battery life and solid range. And they just launched their new waterproof hand mic accessory, which allows you to stow your radio in a pack and keep communication right on your shoulder in heavy snow and water conditions. Make your adventures safer by purchasing a set of their radios. I take them with me on literally every single backcountry outing, and they save the day on several occasions. And don't forget, if you like discounts, get 10% off by going to rockytalky.com slash sharp end. The American Alpine Institute's Alpine Mountaineering and Technical Climbing Leadership Series is considered to be the most comprehensive instructional climbing and mountaineering program in the United States. The series is composed of four 12-day programs that may be taken individually or in direct succession of one another. Participants learn the art of alpinism by developing skills in rock climbing, glacier mountaineering, and ice climbing in Washington's rugged Cascade Mountains those who cannot take 12 days away from their busy lives will find many shorter courses at the Institute. Combined, these shorter programs provide the same outcomes as a longer series. Learn more at alpineinstitute.com. And don't forget to sign up to win the $1,000 tuition voucher for any public group course. This voucher is transferable and expires December 31st, 2024. To sign up, Visit my website at thesharpenpodcast.com and enter the giveaway right on the homepage. Drawing is May 15th. On June 3rd, 2020, two good friends, Kat and Amy, set out to climb the North Twin Sister in the North Cascades in Washington state. They had a beautiful weather window and they went for it. There was a long approach to a long scramble And then weather came in, so they decided to turn around and on their descent, well, I'm just gonna let Amy and Kat share the rest of the details. I hope you enjoy.
1: My name's Amy, uh, Amy Zamora, I am a a third-year graduate student in a PhD program at Harvard University. I am, I guess, a climber, a skier, and a runner, and a mountaineer in addition to that. Um, and I'm 26 years old. So what are you going to school for? Uh, I'm getting my PhD in systems biology, um, which to most people doesn't really mean much. So I, I study antibiotic resistance in bacteria. Wow, that
0: sounds fascinating. Yeah, Thank you.
1: I, I love it. Thank you.
2: <laughs> and what about you, Kat? Uh, Uh, So I'm Kat Cormier-Jones. I'm actually originally Canadian, but I live in Seattle, moved here about four years ago. And I am a trauma ICU nurse. And I I guess I'm a climber, skier, a little bit of a mountaineer.
0: Trauma ICU nurse. I bet you see some crazy
2: things come through the ER. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, luckily I did not end up... (laughs) where I work, but I, yeah, we, we get some pretty fun stories up up there.
0: And so how did you two meet?
1: Oh, we met through a mutual friend. So I was really into running when I used to live in Seattle and he introduced me to his girlfriend and his girlfriend was Kat's roommate and that's how we ended up meeting. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Nice. And you have shared,
2: um, shared
0: interests of the outdoors.
1: Yeah, I think we,
2: One of the first things we did together was, um, Amy and I always really liked scrambling. So I think the first thing that she and I did was we did a scramble up Vesper Peak, uh, which is a pretty cool little hike um, in Washington here.
0: Mm -hmm. Cool. And what are we going to talk about today?
2: Yeah. So um, I guess earlier that week, Amy had brought forward this objective of scrambling the North Twin. Um, she and I both really like scrambling, and she was just kind of newer to climbing and getting a taste for climbing outdoors. So I said, "Yeah, absolutely. Let's. This looks fantastic. It's beautiful. Get this amazing view and some fun climbing on what's supposed to be some of the best, like, sticky rock that you can find anywhere." Um, and we had a pretty good weather window. It looked like it was going to be partially sunny that day, and so I said, yeah, let's go for it.
0: Partially so sunny in the, Seattle or in, in Washington, huh? <laughs>
2: in, in January of all months, too. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we got all of our trip beta. We found a bunch of trip reports from previous years. I got a GPX track, found, found a route that we could follow, um everything looked like it was fairly non-technical like class three to class four scrambling uh no ropes needed for a rappel you everything said that you could safely down climb for this particular approach that we were doing and all you really needed were uh to bring a pair of bikes because it's there's a uh logging gate about what was it like three or four miles from the trailhead. I think it was six. And, was it actually six miles. It was oh six. <laughs> That's right. It was a long, it was a long walk in. Um, so we, it, every trip report said to bring bikes and just stash them at the trailhead because that was really the slog of the day is just walking up this forest service road for six miles. So if you could bike, you could cut your time pretty quickly. And then on your way out, it's just downhill. So you just ride your bikes out and in like 30 minutes, you're done. So we had our bags full of all our gear, ice axes, micro spikes, (laughs) bike helmets. (laughs) I think we just brought our climbing helmets. But yeah, and then we drove up to the trailhead or drove up to this gate, parked our uh, car and got out. And that's when we unfortunately realized that one of the bikes, uh, the inner tube was Uh, popped oh
1: no (laughs) yeah so we couldn't actually
2: ride the bikes uphill but the bikes were the bikes were sturdy enough that we could still ride them downhill so we're like okay well let's still bring them with us because at least it'll make our exit nice and fast especially since we'll be tired so we were walking along at a pretty good cliff with our bikes in hand um and the it was a little bit cloudier than we had been anticipating Uh, so but we could still see little pockets of blue sky pockets of sun peeking out so we were just enjoying this lovely little forest service walk Uh, we could see the north twin like up in front of us basically it ended up taking us a fair amount of time to get up there obviously we hadn't budgeted for walking uh six to six miles so we get to the trailhead, stash our bikes, and we're like, all right, so it looks like we're only a half mile from the start of the scramble. The actual trail itself is pretty short. So we're like, maybe if we can get up there really quickly, we'll still be able to make our turnaround time. And so we start onto this trail, and it's we are post-holing to our knees on every single step oh no <laughs> the snow was so soft it hadn't been packed down at all and it was it had been a bit warmer the week leading up to this so everything was melting out and so we're postholing just every single step to our knees for a quarter mile I think it took us almost an hour to just go that quarter mile and so we got to the top of it to where you basically just walk across Snowfield, and then you're at the scramble. And we just looked at the clock and we're like, We're not making the summit, <laughs> that took us way too long. Um, so we kind of reassessed and we said, Well, we're here, the weather's still nice. We're now still just a quarter, mi- we're just a quarter mile across the snowfield to where the scramble starts. Let's just go get as high as we get, have a little bit of fun, and then we'll come down at the turnaround time. Uh, I think we'd said 3 p.m. So that's what we do. And it's just beautiful little, beautiful day clouds kind of circling, but little breaks of sun here. It's not raining, which is amazing. Um, The snowfield walk was fine. It was definitely fairly steep at certain points. Um, It's a traverse. So we had our ice axes out, just ready to self arrest if we had to. Um, But it went smoothly and we started scrambling. And the rock was everything that we had hoped it would be. It was super sticky, nice, fairly easy scrambling. And we found every so often, we would get a, ever so slightly off route. Uh, and every whenever we did, it quickly became like a lot steeper, a lot more exposed borderline fifth class. So we'd have to backtrack a couple steps and go back to where we were and reassess what route we were looking reassess where we were trying to go up for uh up to and this happened a few more times and we were getting a little higher up and then the clouds just kind of started circling around us getting a little bit lower and so we just decided to call it we we're like you know what no we didn't bring a rope because we were told we everything we read said that this was non-technical and we didn't need right. one yeah and we keep Finding ourselves in situations and in positions where you really would want to have a rope to continue, so we would—we're just like this. Nope. Kind of getting a little weirded out, and so we—good yeah, we good for you decided, for calling it,
0: right? I mean, yeah, yeah, we.
2: I mean, we'd already decided that we weren't going to summit, so we—we we didn't exactly have—we didn't pick up any summit fever, and we were constantly reassessing, looking at the conditions and checking in with each other. And at that point we just decided, nope, this is our point. And I, I think it was even before our turnaround time. We were just like, no, like, you know what? Let's just let's just head down. This has been yeah. fun. Let's not push it. <laughs> so, we start scrambling down. We even like stopped a little bit for a like a nice long snack break because there was a nice little flat spot before the last part of the scramble and we started going down and at this point it's like a mix of rock and trees and amy's down in front of me and we're almost done the scramble part and she takes a step and she lets loose a a pretty big a couple bigger rocks um, and they just kind of keep falling down this gully And we both got a little bit spooked at that point. And luckily, Amy didn't fall anywhere. She just kind of stopped there. And I just took a look at her and she looked a little like anxious, like her breathing started a little bit faster breathing. And I just looked at her and I said, Hey, do you want me to take the lead now? Since I'm, I was a more experienced climber. I said, I think I can probably like find a little better route. For us to go down and then I can suss out whether I think a move is gonna be too difficult for you or if it's a little too sketch. I just had more experience judging that. So she agrees, we trade spots so I take the lead. So I'm now below her. And we get to this one little down climb move to a fairly well-protected ledge. And so I step down and I look around and we're exactly where we were hoping to be. I look across, we're about like maybe 50 feet from the snow field. I can see our boot pack. And I tell Amy, yep, we're here. Like, come on down.
0: About how far below her are you?
2: Um, Maybe eight or 10 feet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like, not crazy far below, but like, it's like a vertical, it's a vertical down climb of eight or 10 feet to this protected ledge. Okay. And I'm just kind of looking around and all of a sudden I just hear Amy yell out, rock, oh shit, big rock. And so I turn and look and she's pulling her foot away from a rock that I had used to step down. And it peels out of the ground and just, it's like about the size of a microwave or my torso or, and I just see this thing and I'm basically directly below it. Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) And at that point, like instinct just totally kicks in and I, I'm still wearing a helmet, but I bring my left arm up just to kind of protect myself. And I don't even remember it really hitting me. I just remember all of a sudden I'm off my feet and I'm somersaulting on the ground.
0: Wow. It knocked you it, off your feet.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's some it, momentum
0: it, it, and force right there.
2: <laughs> yeah. This, this thing was pretty sizable. <laughs> and yeah, so I just remember somersaulting a couple times in the ground and just like falling downwards. And then all of a sudden I stop. And I look around and I'm kind of saddle like straddling onto a tree that's got like this J bend on its trunk coming out of the coming off of the ledge. And the rock has landed on top of my left leg. And I just remember thinking, oh my God. I have a broken leg. I have a broken femur. Maybe I've got some weird internal bleeding. I don't know what's happening. And I try to push this thing off of me and I I can't budge it at all. It's so heavy. And I'm just like about to panic. And then I just stop myself and I just try one more time. And I notice that my leg is able to move. So somehow this rock, just pure luck, this rock has just ever so slightly squished my leg without actually crushing it but the tree is holding up most of the weight of the rock it's kind of like fallen at an angle so i was able to shimmy my leg out and then i'm like all right cool my leg seems fine so then where is all this blood coming from and i just hold up my left arm and uh, all I see is just blood everywhere. All the same arm, arm that
0: you shielded yourself with when it you saw it coming towards you.
2: yeah, yeah.
0: you must have been sitting there, cat, just in in shock. like you got you just got nailed by a rock, a really heavy rock, and then Amy, you're above her, and so you're you're probably like, holy moly, what what just happened?
1: Well, I would say, so all the areas that we were getting into where it was almost fifth class were where I, like Kat had said, like I was quite a bit more um, uncomfortable than she was, which is mm-hmm. why I ended up letting her take the lead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Amy, Amy was always, Amy
2: has more experience on technical snow travel. Um, and at that point I had more experience on technical rock.
0: You're a good pair. You're, you're <laughs> a great pair. <laughs> um. So Amy, what were you thinking in that moment when, you know, you know, you screamed rock, big rock, and then you see this thing hurtling towards her. What were you thinking in those moments?
1: You know, it. there's never really a moment when you really think about what it's going to feel like when you think someone's going to die. Um, I thought when I saw that rock heading towards Cat that I had essentially lost a friend. Um. It was probably one of the scariest moments of my life, Um, mostly because, you know, I did everything possible to try and mitigate that risk, right? Like I had let the more experienced partner of the two of us go first so that she could like make the moves. And then I did exactly what she did. And even Mm -hmm. at that point, you know, the rock still came loose. Mm -hmm. And so... When I was watching this rock heading towards Kat, all I could think was, oh my God, what are we going to do? And just this huge emotional wave of like, almost like a lot of guilt immediately in the moment of like, I just did that. Like, I just hurt her. Like, and was just really overwhelmed thinking about like, just the implications of that rock moving under my foot. And the situation at hand. Um, And, you know, the second I saw that she was okay, it was sort of a wave of relief, but then it kind of went into a a sort of panic mode of like, oh my God, what have I done? And so (laughs) I remember immediately after Kat had gotten the rock off of her, she looked at me and I just started obsessively apologizing being like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm (laughs) so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she looks at me and she's like, Amy, just shut up and help me. She's like, just shut up. (laughs) She's like, it's fine. Let's go. (laughs) And, yeah, and so I came down to her and immediately we sort of went into, into this mode of like, let's, let's take care of what we can. Right. And I think this is part of a mentality that I have sometimes when in the mountains, which is like, if things are a little bit consequential or like a little bit scary, you kind of pack away emotions and tuck them away for a second and deal with what's at hand. Um, and so that's really, I think once I had my initial panic cat really helped snap me into that mode of like, okay, let's take care of what we can. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, We immediately took out our med kits, which both of us had. Oh, good, you ladies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And we started digging for what we needed. And so the first thing that she wanted was a triangle bandage, which was the one thing we, of course, did not have. (laughs) Um, Do you mind if I interject here? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, just to go on to the like, um, pack away your emotions. I, the moment I kind of looked and saw that there was blood on my arm, my brain and like my body went into this problem solve mode that with work I go into very very often where you're just like shit's hitting the fan there's no time or space for panic just figure out what you need to do and so it became this very like robotic here's what I need like checklist in my mind what what's working what's not what do I need to get um and I think I've fall into that very very naturally just from work and then yeah with Amy coming down and just apologizing and I just saw this panic and I was like this needs to stop right now (laughs) I just yeah I just told her to shut up and I was like go into my backpack grab the medic bag and pull out this this and this for me and then yeah I was like do we have a triangle bandage (laughs) and you didn't (laughs) No. no we didn't so yeah we looked around and uh, and amy's like i don't what, what can we do and at this point i was like holding a bunch of gauze around my my arm um i was you were actively bleeding, bleeding still yeah mm-hmm. i ended up grabbing a ski strap just to kind of help add a little bit of pressure to stop the bleeding and we'd use like every bit of gauze that I had in my medic bag, which was actually quite a bit. Um, basically, I, we were still on this ledge and we weren't far from the snowfield, but I still needed to get off this ledge. Cause I was like, this is a little dicey and we're very, very close to a very, very safe spot. But I found I couldn't let go of my, every time I brought my hand down, I couldn't hold it up on its own. And every time it went down, It was just excruciating pain. So I was like, I need something to hold my arm up so that I can actually use my right hand to help me get off this ledge. Cause it was still a little, like you could easily walk off of it with three points of contact, but I was like, I do need the three points of contact to get off this ledge. And so I was like, we need a, we need some sort of sling. And we don't have a triangle bandage. So I'm like, we have the scissors in the kit, right? And Amy goes, yeah. And I'm like, okay, let's, what can we cut up <laughs> to make a sling? And Amy literally takes the shirt off the back. <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty sweet. Cause she was like, this is one of my favorite t-shirts. And it just became my favorite t-shirt as she's ripping it to shreds for me so we can make a nice sling. and not in a like, I'm sad to lose the T shirt in a this is my favorite T shirt now. I will treasure this forever.
0: And did you feel like once you improvise that sling, do you feel like it actually gave you some, some quality support of your arm?
2: It did. Yeah, that's it I just needed my arm to be kind of held more upright. It just helped with the pain a lot. Yeah. Enough that I could think clearly enough to be like, Okay, let's get off this ledge. Yep. And so with that I was able to take my take my backpack off and hand it to amy and just basically just kind of walk through this brushy scrambly ledge and then just sit on the one patch of flat dry dirt before the snowfield started that was i'm like this is nice and open and we're right beside where the boot pack is so anyone should be able to pretty easily find us
1: and i'm not sitting on snow (laughs) so So what had ended up happening next was, I think once Kat got settled, I was starting to think in my brain about how we could possibly call for help. So at the time, both Kat and I were not carrying satellite phones. But on the way up, I had noticed that we had cell service on some sections of the ridge. That's
0: so smart that you like paid attention to that. That's super important.
1: Yeah. And so... When I looked at my phone, we just so happened to be in a small patch where we did have a little bit of cell service. Our backup plan, if we didn't, was going to
2: be she was going to walk to where we knew she had had service.
1: Yeah, because we were in a, a fairly like okay area and we figured that like if we didn't go back up the way that we just came from, because there were a couple different ways to climb around, then we should have been fine. I should have been fine to find a, a spot with reception. Mm-hmm. Um but after calling 911, they had immediately asked for my coordinates. And because I'm an avid user of Gaia GPS,
0: yeah, um, me too. <laughs> yeah, which
1: is where Kat and I had actually stored our GPX tracks, um, I had the ability to look at what our exact coordinates were. And so I gave the fire department my our coordinates so they could send people out to look for us. Um, and then after that, uh, I let Kat, I let cat call her partner to essentially tell him what had happened um, so that somebody knew where we were and mm-hmm. like that, you know, shit had gone wrong and that we were working on it. Um, and then I got a notification that they were sending the helicopters out and we could hear them uh, after a probably, I want to say like an hour. Um, but the fog had kind of rolled down to us a little bit at that point. And so, as they were passing around the North Twin, it seemed like they were having trouble looking for us. Um, there were like two separate helicopters that were flying around, um, which we later found out that it was the Department of Homeland Security as well as uh, as um, naval uh, helicopters that were looking for us. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, so we were, yeah, go ahead. we were actually so close to the Canadian border at this point. Um, that the fire department sent out uh, I guess some sort of message to the to DHS and so it was DHS helicopters uh, that were just scouting to see where we were and to us it looked like well the clouds are getting low and we can hear these helicopters and we can like time to time see them, but they're not coming to us so we are like can they not see us are the clouds too is the cloud cover getting too low uh but it's because they're not rest they weren't rescue helicopters they were just scouting for us and all of a sudden after maybe only about an hour and a half it was actually they were very very fast to get to us which was impressive i was like ready we were getting ready to like spend the night out about, um, about
0: what time is this happening? Like what time did, we, did you start hearing the helicopter rotors? I feel think, like
2: so. The accident happened around like three or four. I, re- I feel like I got. I feel like I was. Getting the the helicopters got to us probably around like five thirty or six. Mm-hmm. I was
1: going to say, I think the official report has that you were picked up at like six.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so we're looking at these helicopters kind of losing a little bit of hope because we're like, why aren't they coming to us? <laughs> why aren't they coming for us? And then all of a sudden, I just hear this, like, really, like, deep choop, 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 and I'm, like, looking off into the distance where the sound is coming, and I see this bright orange helicopter.
1: It turned out to be a Black Hawk. And I look at it, and I just get so excited. I think... Um... I think what also helped was definitely that uh, we were even more prepared, I feel like, because we also had a space blanket with us, um, which we actually ended up using to flag down the helicopters in case they actually couldn't see us. Yeah, we had um, two medics
2: uh, rappelled down to me and they got me into a nice cozy splint and we gave me they gave me some pain medication because I had had nothing at this point um all I had in my kit was Advil so I I think I'd taken a couple Advil and I was like they, these aren't doing anything but yeah they gave me some some of the good stuff and yeah they got me into the got me into the Stokes basket and Weirdly enough, that was the most terrifying part of the whole experience for me was being in this basket,
1: getting repelled up.
0: Amy, did you get in the helicopter too?
1: I did not. Um, So they had actually sent a foot team up to go and get us in case the helicopters couldn't find us, uh, which was made up of the Whatcom County Fire Department volunteers. And so I ended up hiking out with uh, one of the volunteers, mostly because I needed to get my car from the trailhead.
0: Right. And your bikes.
1: (laughs) Yep. And the bikes. (laughs)
0: So then did you meet, you, you met Kat at the hospital later, I, I, I imagine.
1: Yeah, so I had ended up driving back. And by the time I had made it back to Seattle, um, I had contacted her partner and Kat was out cold in the hospital. So I ended up visiting the next day. Mm-hmm.
0: What were the lessons that you both learned from this incident?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, I think it's pretty obvious that the two of us were prepared. Um, and I think that that made the situation a lot better than it could have been. Um, so I think the, one major one of the major lessons that we had was just to always be prepared for the things that you don't want to happen, even if you're an experienced mountaineer. So it's regardless of your ability level, um, because obviously like shit happens to everybody. Yeah. Um, and like we had made, we had done all the right things, right? We decided to forego our original plan. We... Set a time to turn around. We stopped pushing once we realized that conditions weren't right. And like we were very cognizant of the conditions around us, but you know, the rock still came out from under my foot, even after Kat had put her foot on it and her full body weight on it first. And so, you know, we had everything to be prepared in case somebody got hurt. We had enough food and snacks to be prepared to stay the night. And we had plenty of things to keep us warm as well. So, definitely just like being super prepared even if not over prepared for for everything that you're going to do I think is really a really important lesson yeah and still recognizing that
2: like you can still get unlucky like things can still go wrong no matter how prepared you are regardless of your ability regardless of how risk averse you are like things still go wrong sometimes so it's just kind of just accepting that as well um but doing whatever you can so that when stuff does go wrong you can mitigate just how bad the consequences are
0: yeah you know i asked about how far below you were when that rock Mm -hmm. fell and you know rocks can on, on steeper slopes rocks can they can fly down pretty darn fast they gain momentum and they go faster and faster and faster they can knock you off your feet right and so and you were you know you said 8 to 10 feet below her mm-hmm. um but imagine if you were either even farther below her right so oh yeah um i think you know one thing that you could have done differently is just uh been been a little bit uh offset from her rock fall, right? Yeah. Focusing on fall line of the person Mm -hmm. above you and is always being out of the fall line. And that's one thing that I think maybe could have prevented this potentially. Yeah. But again, you did do lots and lots and lots of things right.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean like coming out of the accident, I think this was the thing that I thought about personally the most. Like, should I have waited longer? Should I have gone sooner? Should I have just like gone a different way? I think what helped was that when I visited Kat in the hospital, she looked at me and she had said, you know, if, if we would have been switched, that would have been you. And she's like, it could have hit my head. It could have broken my legs. She's like, it could have been so much worse. Mm -hmm. She's like, we're lucky that it ended up the way it did. And yep we just shouldn't think about like the the should have could have
0: no it, and it sounds mm-hmm. like you both did a lot of debriefing after this incident too and you're still friends and you're still talking right so <laughs> there's that's that's that takes a lot of effort to you know to not shame or guilt the other partner that's a really big deal in terms of post incident
2: and i think that's probably that goes into like one of the other lessons we learned is what does it take to maintain a good strong not just climbing partnership but friendship and and any relationship in general um, when bad things happen like that and it's just that like we yeah Amy came and visited me a bunch I was in the hospital for five days I had to have two different surgeries Um, and Amy came and visited me almost every single day we went on a couple like little city walks after like the week after I when I got out but then after that we kind of like took a little bit of space from each other uh, and I think that that was, that was definitely helpful. And I definitely did have moments throughout the rest of that summer where I was like a little bit, a little bit jealous, a little bit FOMO, the tiniest bit resentful that she was still getting to go out and do these adventurous things and have fun and climb all these peaks that I had been hoping to be able to do. Um, and I was stuck healing cause I wasn't allowed to put any sort of weight bearing on my hand for for like 12 weeks or something like that um and so I think it was good for us to have that that distance and that space during that time because it I never really lashed out like I kind of was able to just work through those feelings and recognizing that everyone's Healing looks different. And during this time, like afterwards, Amy and I, when we would, when we talked, she was saying that, yeah, she was super anxious and had some stress injuries, emotional and mental stress injuries from the, from the ordeal of all that. And just recognizing that everyone's, everyone's healing looks different. And you have to respect, you have to respect what your partner's experience was. if you want to maintain that climbing partnership. And we worked on that a lot. And we even still will like go back and debrief certain things about that day. And we've gotten really good at debriefing and we're really good at telling each other, like kind of just being super straight with each other during um, whenever we do go out and do stuff like we like to backcountry ski together. and just saying like, hey, I'm not okay with this and like just not really hiding what we're thinking from the other. And I think that's been a a really good lesson to learn for both of us to carry through in all our other partner all our other climbing partnerships too.
0: And and Amy, have you um been able to work through your stress injuries?
1: Yeah. So right afterwards, I I started hiking again maybe a month after the accident. Um but I uh, up until I'd say like a year after um, the accident, I had a really hard time scrambling really any sort of terrain because I was constantly worried that I was going to dislodge something. Right. Um, Which was a huge dichotomy from like where I was before, where I was like almost overly confident on scrambling terrain. um, And, and it really kind of it shook me a little bit. Like it, it made me a lot more anxious in, in in rocky terrain. And so, you know, I had moved out east in the year after the accident, um, to go to grad school. And even doing things up in the whites, which are extremely rocky, um, I was still having trouble I was still having trouble scrambling. And so I think through a couple of different trips with some really good partners, I was able to like regain some of my some of my confidence on, on scrambles. Um, I will say that since then, I don't think I've done more than five scrambles, uh, since then. Um, but that's a
0: byproduct of just being really busy at school or is that a byproduct of you just actually avoiding those types of, uh, those type those types of outings?
1: I think to be honest, I've become a really big rock climber since then. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually climb, I now climb trad and I climb, a bunch of stuff and I do multi pitch and I enjoy Alpine trad and I like doing things like that. But I think maybe it honestly just might be a little bit, still a little bit of uncomfortable feeling towards scrambles. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff out here is really Rocky and isn't quite the same caliber of, of scrambling that's out West, uh, specifically in Washington, uh, especially around like summit blocks and things like that. Um, but I mean, like, I feel like I've grown in terms of, like, my own comfort level, and I think through some, like, really slow ramping back into different activities, I've been able to rebuild a lot of confidence. Um, I did have quite a bit of PTSD afterwards in terms of, like, you know, seeing seeing a rock hit my best friend and, and almost kill her, um, and... I think that took a little bit of work to get through. And I think, honestly, even to this day, like I was telling Kat about what I was experiencing immediately after, like, I dislodged the rock the other day. And, you know, I hadn't been emotional about it since. And I didn't think I was going to get emotional about it. But it still still sits with me to this day. Um, And I think it will always color the way that I go into my activities in terms of my safety tolerance and my risk aversion. Um, But I think it also makes me a really strong partner and a really strong climber and alpinist and mountaineer, what have you, because it makes me, I think, more cognizant and able to make better decisions in stressful situations as well.
0: Almost exactly one year later after this accident, Amy and Catherine got together and went and tried climbing in Leavenworth, Washington to do some 5'5", 5'6", crack climbing. They're both pretty nervous and anxious, but they pushed through their fears and came out learning a lot together as a result. They're both still very good friends, and Amy is even one of Catherine's bridesmaids for her up-and-coming wedding. Show your support for the Sharpen Podcast by donating on PayPal or becoming a Patreon member today. Thank you to Rocky Talkies and the American Alpine Institute for supporting my show. And thank you to the American Alpine Club for believing in my podcast mission. The American Alpine Club podcast is unearthing the climbers you need to hear from. With episodes that dive into the life of search and rescue teams or explore the crucial role of climbing for the mountain troops during World War II, the AAC podcast is covering the history, policy, climbing education, and culture that matters most to climbers. Meet the climbers who's climbed 10,000 pitches in Eldo, or the USA team athlete who believes ice climbing is the most human form of climbing. You can find the American Alpine Club podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcast. Check it out. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.